Power Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for a spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. One of the hallmarks of the spiritual journey, I think, is that we are full of questions. And I believe that curiosity, being willing to ask those questions, is part of what expands our experience here and helps us grow, helps us move from fear to hope. One of those questions is what happens as we're dying and what happens after we drop our bodies. On today's show, you'll meet Dr. Sharon Prentice. After the devastating loss of her daughter and her husband, she experienced a unique spiritual experience called a shared death experience that gave her a glimpse of eternity and a sense of otherworldly peace. She got some answers. Are you ready to meet her? Dr. Sharon Prentice is a psychotherapist and spiritual counselor whose work focuses on helping patients process the grief of losing a loved one. Her new memoir is titled Becoming Starlight. When she found the world of secular psychology lacking, she set out to explore alternative methods in the field of mental health. And this journey led her to incorporate a much more spiritual approach to mental health. Dr. Prentice believes that one must be spiritually healthy in order to enjoy emotional, psychological, or or physical health. You can find out more about Sharon and her work at SharonPrentice.com. Sharon, welcome to Out of the Fog. Hey, Karen, it's so good to be here with you. I've been waiting patiently for this. Oh, thank you for waiting patiently. <laughs> I'm glad you're here too. So I knew what a near-death experience was. What is a shared death experience? You know, it's funny that you say you, you, you knew about the near-death experience. Everyone, everyone, you'd have to be living under a rock to not know, you know, what a near-death experience is. But very few people, including me, had any idea um, what a shared death experience was. Matter of fact, I did not give my experience a name until I became friends with Dr. Moody, who explained it all to me. Now, shared death experience really is almost identical to the near-death experience, except the person who is having that experience, I know I keep using that word, the person having that experience, there's nothing wrong with them. They are well, they are most often at the bedside of a person who is dying or, or has died, and they are just taken along for what I call a glimpse into foreverness. It, it's this, it's a glimpse into what happens after physical death. And you had that experience yourself as your yeah. husband was passing. Can you share a little bit about what, what happened, what that felt like? You know, I have tried for years to actually put words to it. And it was very difficult writing Starlight because how do you write, how do you use language to describe something for which there is no language? If, if you were to take every single word that is something beyond peace, beyond joy, beyond magnificence, beyond, you know, all of those words that we use, go beyond all of those into something that 
you don't even know to imagine in your mind that's what these experiences are like. At the moment of my husband's death, what happened to me was the same thing that happened to people who had the near-death experiences, um, except for me. Like I said, I was I was totally well. And the floor I was standing on started to disappear, and the ceiling started turning to mist, and I had no clue what was going on. And I know this sounds like it took a long time, but it was almost instantaneous. And the walls of the, the hospital room we were in started to go away, and the room started filling with stars. That's why the book is called Becoming Starlight, because it was almost as if these billions and billions of stars came to collect me. I, I have said that I could see each and every one of them separately and distinct, and yet it was one massive Star. It was just one massive light. And I went into that. Karen, I walked into that so freely because I knew it. There was a presence within that light. And I felt like I was going home. And so to describe that, like I said, how do you put a word to that when a word doesn't even exist? It was, I have said, I've said amazing so many times that my family is getting tired of hearing me use the word amazing. (laughs) Did you have expectations? I know that you also lost a child. Yeah. And that experience, this, this book, by the way, is, uh, is, is beautifully written and it made me cry. And I'm kind of a tough sell when it comes to things that make me cry. So I cried through, through this book in a, in a good way. Um, but that experience of losing your daughter and that experience of grieving and and shutting down and darkness and heaviness is Mm. so different from your experience of grieving as your husband passed it was, you know, you don't, there, there's an order to death. We believe there is a death order. You know, you start with your great grandparents and your grandparents and then your parents and your sisters, your brothers, you know, there, there is a death order that we expect. No one expects to lose their first child. I most certainly didn't. And I had zero wherewithal to deal with it. It, it was... It was absolutely surreal when this was happening. And, you know, I set up the, you know, the bargaining and the begging and the promises and the, you know, the take me and and all of these things that you do when you are losing someone that you love. And, you know, you reach out to this God um, that you were told existed, you know, from the time you were a little kid. And for me, what I found out was that this God that I had believed in didn't exist. And so all of this begging and bargaining and pleading and all of that that I was doing to save her life was to absolutely no avail. And when I realized that she had died and when I realized that this God that I had grown up believing in did not indeed exist, I just fell. I mean, I really did. I just fell. There was no one that could pull me up out of this pit that I did get very comfortable in, unfortunately. Uh, Not my husband, not my family. There wasn't a minister. There wasn't anyone that could pull me up out of that. And I wandered. I seriously did wander in darkness for so many years. And at the same time, as I, I tell in the book, my husband was getting sick. So that did not help. 
anything. I, I was really, I was totally lost and I felt totally alone in the world. And that is really a horrible black place to be. When you talk about God, you've said that feeling angry at God or, or feeling like you've lost faith right. is a part of finding God yes. and finding that faith. What do you mean when you say God? What is that faith? What does it mean to you to, to hold that? Oh, I'll tell you, it, it is so different uh, from what I thought when I was a kid. You know, I think all of us, when we sit in churches and you know, we look at the guy up behind the, the pulpit and, and God is described to you, you almost get this picture of, you know, Charlton Heston and Ten Commandments, you know what I mean? This this guy outside of you who's living up, you know, beyond the clouds somewhere. And if you say or do or, you know, anything you're not supposed to, you're going to have lightning bolts thrown at you. I mean that, you know, but if you're good and you do everything right, then everything in your life is, is going to be fine. And when I found that that didn't exist, oh, let me tell you, it, it was horrible. But with this experience with my husband, what I discovered is that God, and I call, and I do use the word God, and, and just to make it easy to talk about, I'm going to use the pronoun he, okay, although we know mm-hmm. it's, it's not a he, but it, it, people will understand that better. Oh, my goodness. God so exists, but he is not this outside thing, you know, looking down on, on anyone. He is my breath. I am his breath. I exist because he thought of me. He lives in this heart of heart that the mystics have talked about since almost the beginning of time. You know, that divinity, that place within you where God breathes for you and, and you are his you know, Wayne, Wayne Dyer, uh, one of my mentors said that, that you are this magnificent expression of God in the world. And that's why I say that we are all thoughts of God. He, he thought of you. He gave that thought breath. And that's why we're walking around. So my version of God now, some people call it source, some call it creation, some call it love, some call it the all, whatever you want to call it. This version, and, and that's even the wrong word, my Every waking moment now is knowing that this this God that loves me and created me and, and thought of me and formed me and breathes for me is in every every instant of everything that I do. Mm. Huge change. Yeah. I'm thinking of Hildegard of Bingen talking about how we are feathers on the breath of God. Mm-hmm. And that the way that we are held, the way we rise and fall, no matter how high the rise or how low yes. the fall may go, that feeling of being supported, that's something I resonate with very strongly as well. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Dr. Sharon Prentice. Her new memoir is Becoming Starlight, and you can find out more about Sharon and her work at SharonPrentice.com. That's S-H-A-R-O-N-P-R-E-N-T-I-C-E.com, SharonPrentice.com. With that um, almost like uh, having a big, like an, a door opened, like the sky opened, the room went away, the sky yeah. opened. And as you went into that space, mm-hmm. how much has that stayed with you afterwards? Because at the moment of someone's passing to have that transcendent experience is wonderful, but then comes 
filling out the forms and the coming home and taking the clothes out yes. of the closet and looking yes. at the bed and the person isn't there. How does, yes. how does all this transcendent, true wonderfulness move into everyday life? You know, that was the most difficult part. Um, it is, here's what I believe. It is impossible to hold on to that. In this human condition, we cannot hold on to that feeling, that, that, the feeling of that knowledge. You know how when you learn something, it gives you that aha moment and you, you go through life feeling it, not just knowing it, but feeling it. You start to lose that. But what you can hold on to are the big lessons, you know, that, les- that, that lesson of a distinct coexistence, if, if I can use that word, um, th- this thing knowing that I am never, ever alone, that I am never separated from the most intense, the most intense, powerful love. And holding on to that is very easy. Holding on to knowing, once you have been loved like that and you have been in the presence of that, you can't ever forget it. And it's just something that just kind of flies out of your body with everybody, everyone that you meet. And that never goes away. The feeling of calmness and peace and joy and all of those actually turn into the most amazing form of being numb because there's so much and it's so powerful. You can't hold on to it. And I swear it would give you high blood pressure. It would do something, but it just turns into this feeling of numbness where you can walk through the world knowing that you are protected and loved every single second that you can hold on to mm. the rest of it, you know, just doing your daily, like you said, you know, doing the laundry and going grocery shopping and doing all of that stuff. Yeah, that's all the same, but you walk and you flow through the world differently because you know, you know that the, your world is different now. Does that make any sense? No, it does. And it, I think things like that, that, that happen are, they turn into touchstone experiences or touchstone events. When, when I forget how much I am loved. So I'm now just speaking from my own experience. When I forget how much I am loved, how deeply I'm held in that divine light, I can take a breath and remember it, come back to it because I've had the experience. Right. right. And so uh, when I forget or I'm mean or, you know, because we hold those we hold those transcendent things for 10 seconds and we think we'll remember forever. Exactly. And then we yeah. go and yell at the cat or yeah. have a bad thought about <laughs> someone and that's oh, I lost it. But once that once it happens to you, you can take a breath and and reconnect and reconnect with that in, in your work with people who are in the process of dropping their bodies in the process of dying. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and with people who are losing someone they love or have lost someone they love, right. how do you bring your own experience to bear? What do you teach people? How do you work with people? I am the guy that's called in once the diagnosis is given. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, a lot of the MD, a lot of the training that you get, they teach you how to give the diagnosis, but they don't teach you exactly how to handle it once it's been delivered. Hmm. And so I'm the guy that comes walking through the door after that. And honestly, it is never difficult for me to be able to bring in my own experience because of the fear that I encounter 
every time I walk into the room. I recognize that fear. Not only did I feel it when I was losing my daughter, but I felt it when I was losing my husband. So I can smell it. I see it. I, I hear, you know, this primal scream that is coming out of people because the fear of the unknown. You know, we all think we're just going to disappear into nothingness. And that is so far from the truth. But that is one of the biggest fears. And it doesn't take very long before someone will give voice to that fear and they will say to me something like, should I be afraid or I'm so scared or, you know, something. And that's when I will say, let me tell you a story. That's why the last title is, what is it? I think it's let me tell you a story. Yes. Um, Yeah, because that's how it always gets started. And my job, I don't try to change people's faith. Okay. I try to give them faith in whatever it is that they want to believe. My job is to help take away the fear and let them realize that they are not going to dissolve into nothingness that, you know, and and for the family members that are like, where are they going? What's going to happen? The same thing with them, for them to know that your loved one is going to be better, more peaceful, more loved, more you fill in the blanks than they have ever been since the day they were born. Because to me now, death really is just birth backwards. You're just going home. You know, you're going where you came from. Uh, So taking that fear away, that fear of death and that fear of dissolving into nothingness, that's, that's what I do. And my story is such a huge help doing that because as soon as someone voices it, that's right where I go. And then the conversation with them always, they always lead the way. And then I pick it up, you know, once I see what it is that they are so fearful of, if it goes beyond just the the normal fears of death. Mm -hmm. When, I don't know what the right way to say this. When someone has died, we feel clumsy about what to say to the person who's (laughs) lost, lost someone. And we say clumsy sort of terrible sort of maladept things we say things like don't be sad he's in a better place now he is in a better place he is in a better work yeah i mean yeah but how do you help people work through that grief if there's somebody who's listening who's lost a loved one how can even of course it's starlight and transcendence but how can you speak into that grief it's not wrong to hold the grief is it no and see here's the thing that that people forget everyone says something okay and they say it because they care there there's nothing malicious there's nothing you know really i'm going to use the word bad that people are saying they say what they think they need to say because they don't realize that oftentimes it's better to say nothing at all mm-hmm. and holding on to the grief sometimes is the only thing that people still have to hold on because they don't know where else to go. And when people give up the grief, one of the things that I have found over years of doing this is a lot of people think if they give up the grief, then they are giving up the person. Oh. Okay, if, if I give up that grief and I am giving up those amazing moments, you know, in the lifetime with, that per, with, with whoever it was that died, and they don't realize that by getting out of that grief, then they open themselves up to the entire lifetime of memories, you know, that they do have. So when someone dies, I have a hard time when someone dies because my first reaction is to smile. 
<sighs> I know that's bad. And a lot of times I will leave the room right after the person has died to give the family a moment. But what I'm really doing, I'm standing on the other side of the door and I'm smiling and I'm saying, now, you know, now, you know, because I'm, I know where they are and they are now where I was and they know, but I can't say that. I've already said it in a thousand different ways, you know, as we've, as we've gone through um, the trials and the traumas of losing someone. And so most times I will sit there and I will hold their hands and just look at them. You know, you, it, it sounds so silly, but being there with someone, the only thing that you need to do is let them know that they did everything right, that they loved the person they lost with all of their soul, and that the person who is lost loved them with all of their soul. And the best way to do that oftentimes in the beginning is just to sit there quietly with them. Go visit them at their home. If you want to take them food, take them food. Tell them, hey, if you'd like to lay down and take a nap, I'm here. I'll watch the dogs. I'll watch the kids. You do not have to directly address the death unless they want to. And then if they want to, the best thing you can do is just say, tell me how you feel because I don't know. Or if you do know, say, I I do understand. I do understand. And, you know, that just keeps it, keeps it going, keeps it going, keeps, keeps the conversation going. But you can't get angry at people or mad at people or whatever when they say, oh, you know, he's here, he's there. The one that I hate the worst is God knows best. Um... I was told that so many times, and I would actually look at people and say, yeah, well, maybe he knows best, but he really screwed up this time, and I didn't use the word screwed up. So, you know, (laughs) um, it's just one of these things that we do, and we we just don't know because we're not taught about death. We're not taught what to say. We're not taught what to do. Our society just closes up when it comes to that. Well, and we speak from our own fear or from our own yeah. um, love. If I love you and I want to make it better for you, but I know I can't make it better mm-hmm. for you, I might say something completely yep. clumsy. And so probably, as you as you say, nobody's trying to hurt each other. It's just through not knowing what to say. I know we've just got a minute left, and, I, and I'm curious. There's just a little whisper of a hint in the book that there's some thinking about shared death experiences being um, conscious that there might be a way to create a kind of a connected shared death experience, an intentional one. Is that something that you know about or have witnessed? Because that's fascinating to me. You know, I've been studying this for so many years, trying to figure all of that out. You know, Mm -hmm. and what it has brought me to is a lot of sacred word and a lot of contemplative prayer, you know, which takes you right, right into the very breath of God, you know, and and watching so many people and being with so many people. um, I'm learning more and more and more every day for me to say that there is a conscious link to this. I can't say it yet. Um, but eventually I'm not going to give this research up and I'm not going to give investigating this up. I've talked to 
priests and monks and and rabbis and everybody you could think of, you know, putting all of this together because it is it's an amazing, fascinating thing. And that's one of the reasons I got into it. I'm figuring if I'm with these people as they die, maybe I can, you know, hitchhike a ride back. Of course, this never happened, but, you know, um, it, it this is it's ongoing research. There's a lot of research programs out there right now uh, as people, as more and more and more people around the globe start to talk about these experiences. That is, this is wonderful stuff. Sharon, thank you so much for being on the program. Is there something you want to leave our listeners with? Um, oh, this sounds so totally trite, but just love. I know you hear that so much. You hear it, every, everybody say it, but you know, it is that, it is that connection to love. And when I say connection to love, I'm talking about God. I'm talking about each other. I'm talking about the breath that you breathe and, and, and the breath that the person right in front of you is breathing because there's no separateness between any of us. So just practice love. That's all you can do. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really glad I got to talk to you. Thank you. No problem. That is Dr. Sharon Prentice. Her new memoir is Becoming Starlight, a shared death journey from darkness to light. You can find out more about Sharon and her work at SharonPrentice.com. That's S-H-A-R-O-N-P-R-E-N-T-I-C-E.com, SharonPrentice.com. And the book is Becoming Starlight. And you are always welcome over at KarenHager.com. It's a great place to find out what's coming up next on this radio show. Get the news about upcoming classes and events. You can even book a private session with me if you are so inclined. But if you do that, if you want to book a private session, would you please use the coupon code podcast when you do that? That'll give you 20% off the session fee. And it'll also let me know that you are listening to this program. And that gives me a little thrill of delight that I can hardly express. So use that coupon code podcast when you book in at KarenHager.com. And if you believe, as I do, that when we put our focus on peace, that things really can change, that our prayer, our meditation, our intention makes a difference. I invite you to check out openpeacefulheart.com. It's a place where you can get information about the free monthly guided meditations that my partner and I offer to you for, there's no selling, no yelling, no nothing, just guided meditation and peace. You'll also find at that website, archived recordings of guided meditations you can listen to anytime you want to shift your vibration. That's at openpeacefulheart.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. <laughs>